Well, guys, I'm a little depressed because I need to buy a new mattress and it's because of my own stupidity. I really got on this kick of making all of my own products at home and so one of them was body lotion made out of olive oil and essential oils and whatever I created stank. And Smells like a wet dog. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'm only going to use it at nighttime. So I would slather my whole body in this disgusting, smelly olive oil body lotion, put on pajamas and sleep like that. And granted, my skin was smooth as silk. Nobody would want to touch you. <laughs> <laughs> now my mattress, even though I've cleaned the sheets four times, I've even washed the mattress pad twice. I cannot get this stink out of my room. And Sarah <laughs> Sarah is the only one who's had the balls to tell me about it. I've had the window open. If there's any mattress company out there that wants me to do a promotion <laughs> and give me a serious discount on a new mattress, I do have EC3 coming here in two weeks. <laughs> and I don't want him to smell the stank mustiness in my bedroom. I, I feel like EC3 might be familiar with the smell. It's probably a lot like what the, uh, the locker room smells like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough. <laughs> Welcome to the Jacked on the Beanstalk Vegan Podcast, hosted by the Shorky Sisters. Repping the vegan hippie meatheads of the world is Sam, the first ever vegan World Naturals Bikini Pro, coach, author, and blogger, who's got an ass that's out of this world. Repping the busy, tired moms of the world is Sarah, and her ass is, well, mediocre together. They're on a mission to live with purpose and unlock the mysteries of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. So grab a seat in the back of Sarah's minivan and enjoy the ride. Today we are talking about hormones and more specifically fertility on the podcast episode 26. So uh, how are your hormones there? I don't know, raging? Oh yeah? Is that Today or always? I don't know. I, actually, it's probably mostly the third week of my cycle, I would say. Okay. Uh, well, I like to think that my hormones are pretty balanced for the most part, especially since, as I just mentioned, I've made a lot of changes to my already obsessive <laughs> vegan hippie meathead diet and lifestyle. Uh, which we will address in more detail later on this episode. But first, welcome everybody to the Jacked on the Beanstalk podcast. I, of course, am your host, Sam. Smell those sweet, sweet, fertile pheromones and musty mattress of mine, <laughs> Shorky. Uh, and I <laughs> am your co-host and older sister, Sarah. Already proven my fertility and now headed toward the dreaded next phase of hormonal hell, Shorky. Wow, we both had a long one yeah, this week. Yeah. And together, we, we are two, two sisters, sisters who definitely, definitely experience mood swings pre-period that our mom forever claims is a crock of shit. shit. No, it's not. Yeah, what is with her in that? F you, Mom. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, this... Oh, yeah, this episode will come out before Christmas. Yeah. Which, by the way, guys, we wanted to mention that uh, we will be taking a bit of a hiatus over Christmas. We do have a couple episodes coming out over the next couple weeks, but uh, from Christmas to New Year's, we will not be releasing an episode. As for this particular episode on fertility and discussing the most natural hippie ways possible to not only boost our fertility, but also balance out our very complex hormonal systems, 
modern medicine has developed a wide range of very effective ways that we can tackle infertility and balance our hormones, which we will discuss later on because we have an interview with <laughs> Danica Seacard. I'm uh, or- Orleans naturopath and I've been practicing since uh, 2008. We've been seeing an increase in fertility issues at the clinic. Her name is Dr. Danica Sickard. Well, Sarah, you're a mom, and you have had two successful pregnancies. So before we get into the interview with Dr. Danica, I thought it would be a good opportunity for maybe you to talk about your own uh, experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm not usually the kind of person to uh, share very private matters, but uh, this one, I don't know, I, I feel like uh, it's important to sort of talk about these kinds of issues because I think a lot of women uh, and men have to deal with infertility and unsuccessful pregnancies, and uh, the more we talk about it and the more support there is, the better. So um, I can definitely relate to some of the some of the stuff that unsuccessful pregnancies, at least when I got pregnant with my first, I got pregnant immediately and truly loved every moment of being pregnant, except for maybe the last couple of weeks when you're just so damn uncomfortable. They're just like, get out of me. <laughs> but yeah, I had a great delivery as far as labor goes, although I do remember at one point being slumped over a chair thinking I am never doing this again (laughs) but yeah when my son was about 18 months I thought this is awesome let's do this again so got pregnant almost immediately again but lost that one at nine weeks and it was very sad but um, you can kind of tell yourself that you know it was just bad chemistry and probably for the best and um, so tried again got uh, pregnant a couple months later and lost that one at 12 weeks, uh, which it was the worst experience of my life. I lost so much blood that I had to go uh, to the emergency room. It left me anemic and very weak, and not to mention severely brokenhearted. Uh, I had a very hard time getting over that one. Uh, I mean, it took me it, it took me some time to get over that one. So I, d- I did take my time and and waited almost a year probably about eight months uh, I got pregnant again and lost that baby at eight weeks um, and I can honestly say I I was destroyed like I actually went for counseling because I just didn't know how to deal with the loss um, and I think the hardest part was uh, first of all I'm the kind of person who always needs to know the why to something and I mean, I went to the, the fertility clinic, I had the test done and, you know, I, I was a, a healthy woman, you know, uh, everything worked fine. I'd, I'd had a very successful, easy pregnancy and, you know, even my eggs, I had a, a great amount of eggs for my age. And, um, and what was really tough was that through it all, I had a little three-year-old who, you know, he needed the mom he was used to and that sort of was my priority so I didn't really allow myself the time I needed to grieve and um, I could go on but uh, there is a happy ending to this majorly depressing story yeah thank god because I can only imagine the poor bastards doing cardio listening to this right now can we talk about Sam's musty mattress again so anyway so that December uh, I actually considered it my last attempt Um, But a little seed grew and it became my little girl. So to all of our listeners who have gone through this type of loss, heartbreak, stress and difficulty, it is true what they say as much as I I know I didn't want to hear it at the time. And I was kind of like, you just you do not give up hope when and keep trying. And when I finished my counseling, uh, my therapist, I remember she said to me, I wish you peace. And that was sort of like those words had such a huge impact on me because, you know, to anybody out there who's going through this, you know, that can mean whatever form that comes in, whether it's, it's having an only child or adopting a child or, or the willingness to just keep trying. Um, and, and I, I did wait until I was, I was truly ready to try again and felt strong enough well, or at least thought I was strong enough to deal with the possibility of, of another loss. And in my case, it worked. And if I'd thrown in the towel like I thought I would, you know, my, my little girl wouldn't be here. 
I remember someone uh, saying to me that pregnancy was not a miracle. Actually, they were kind of an a-hole, clearly. That it was just simple biology. But many of us know what a giant crock of shit that is. It is a miracle. And I am truly blessed to have been given my two little miracles. Well said, Sari. I like that. And actually, I wasn't expecting you to share that long of a story. Yeah, we might have to cut the interview now. (laughs) Sorry, Dr. Danica, you're out, I'm in. (laughs) But no, I am glad that you shared that, and I'm sure our listeners appreciated you getting so honest and and real with them, and some wise words that can actually be applied to anything we want in life. So thanks, Siri. Good good work. Good good co-hosting. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in the corner crying for the next five minutes. <laughs> well, that's okay, because I would like to actually take a few minutes before we get into the interview, talk about some of the specific herbal remedies and vitamins and supplements that I personally take, or I will often recommend to uh, my clients when they're suffering with uh, hormonal imbalances, or if they're uh, looking to have babies. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, so do not go taking these supplements without talking to your own doctor first. I've always heard that both zinc and folic acid are very beneficial to not just women, but men as well. Apparently, zinc is said to help with the production of sperm and testosterone for for you guys out there. And its effect is apparently boosted by consuming folic acid. And some good news for us vegans, lentils are an awesome source of zinc and protein for your muscles, bro. And then, of course, leafy green vegetables and whole grains for all you carb lovers. They are uh, super high in folic acid. So for all my ladies out there, my vegan chicks, uh, in terms of balancing your hormones, two supplements that I personally have seen success with in terms of a very happy menstrual cycle which, for the record, I always had a a totally normal um, menstrual cycle, and uh, I still do, but now in my 30s, I get really brutal cramps sometimes beforehand, not to mention major bloating, and my boobs will get sore. hope you guys are enjoying this, men listening. (laughs) But uh, a good supplement is uh, called Chasteberry, which is also known as Vitex. Maybe you guys have seen that. Uh, And Selenium is an antioxidant that not only helps protect against birth defects and miscarriage if you are trying to get pregnant, but selenium is also important for egg production. And in men, it actually is known to uh, promote the production of healthy sperm as well. So you can definitely supplement with selenium. That's what I do. And you could also get it from mini nuts and seeds. I think Brazil nuts is one of the best sources of selenium and uh, sunflower seeds, which if you guys check out the Deck the Halls with Protein Balls cooking demo that I just recorded with local vegan chef Amy Longar, on my YouTube channel. We make some pretty awesome holiday dessert creations using sunflower seed butter. So check that out. We're whipping up all kinds of healthy vegan balls to ensure your own vegan balls stay healthy. Nice. Yeah, that's on my YouTube. Don't miss it, kids. Oh, and then with the Chaseberry or the Vitex supplement, which I mentioned uh, before, it is sourced from a berry that comes from the chaste tree and it's really good for regulating your menstrual cycle and balancing out your estrogen and progesterone levels and it's said to stimulate ovulation. Well, Sari, I feel like we have rambled on for long enough. Shall we get to this hormone and fertility interview with Dr. Danica already or what? Let's do it. Today, we are speaking with the lovely Dr. Danica Sickard, who is a naturopathic physician right here in Ottawa, Ontario, working hard every single day at the Orleans Naturopathic Clinic. She helps people achieve optimal health as naturally as possible. And interestingly enough, I actually discovered Dr. Danica via a mutual colleague, Karen, who creates the F-Wrap 
cloth menstrual pads. And uh, if anyone's wondering what those are all about, I actually provide a rave review for the F-Wrap cloth menstrual pads in my vegan hippie period product blog post on jackedonthebeanstalk.com, of course. But anywho, Danica was highly recommended to me by Karen to be the guest expert on this week's podcast. So I am really excited for this one. And I have so many questions to ask. And I know this is going to probably be a long interview because of that. So let's not even waste any time and get right to it, eh? Welcome, Dr. Danica, and thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I've been practicing since 2008. I practiced in the in Massachusetts for about six years, and then... Oh, are you an American? I'm not, but my husband's an American. I'm originally from uh, the area, from Ottawa, so uh, we moved back and uh, opened up a practice in the East End, and uh, we have been seeing more and more fertility cases. Well, we have a special interest in digestive issues, any sort of autoimmune conditions. So we have a, a general practice aside from that. So fertility is just one part of the, the practice. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Why would somebody choose a naturopathic doctor versus, you know, a conventional medicine doctor? Well, the difference would be we take a look at the whole person, uh, take a look at everything that's going on in their life uh, from when they were little all the way up to now in terms of their nutrition, their lifestyle, uh, their family history. And we take all those things into consideration and we try and make sure that the, the base of their health is strong. From there, we'll make recommendations like lifestyle modifications, dietary recommendations. We'll make sure they have the basics down, like they're sleeping well, eating well, exercising, that their mental emotional state is also quite good. From there, once the foundation is very strong, we also do some lab work, make sure there's no hormonal problems, no nutritional deficiencies. And so again, taking a look at the whole person. However, we do see a good variety where they're already seeing, um, they're being seen at a fertility clinic, and they're also seeing us. So we work well together. But you wouldn't be able to prescribe, and I would think that naturopath doctors don't even want to prescribe conventional medicines to their patients either, right? Some naturopathic doctors do have prescription rights where they can prescribe uh, bioidentical hormones. I don't do that, but I do refer out to some of my colleagues uh, if I feel that one of my patients might do well on, let's say, uh, progesterone. So I would refer them out for that. Obviously, this is a huge topic. I guess my first question is, could you give us a Cliff's Note version of what hormones even do and what are the main hormones that do affect our fertility and reproductive systems? Hormones are chemical messengers. Uh, they travel through the body and uh, they coordinate processes like growth, metabolism, fertility. So they influence a lot of things in our body. Uh, hormones are secreted from different glands in our body, and these this system of glands are known as our endocrine system. The main hormones that we look at in um, fertility are really estrogen, progesterone, luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone, testosterone. Those are the big ones. We want to make sure they're all well in range. And uh, some of these hormones are secreted from our ovaries and from and some are secreted from the testes. We, uh, we, we take all that into consideration. What are the biggest factors that can lead to infertility? So specific to women, uh, advanced maternal age is one big factor. Uh, so women who are 35 years old and, uh, and older, anyone who's been exposed to systemic chemotherapy or radiation on their pelvic area, uh, cigarette smoking, endometriosis, uh, surgical procedures on the ovaries will also be a factor. Autoimmune conditions uh, and genetic conditions will also play a role. Environmental exposures, endocrine disorders like PCOS or diabetes, as well as obesity. There's quite a few factors. Right. And actually, this just sparked me to ask a totally selfish question. Have you ever heard of laser hair removal on the crotch area contributing I, to infertility? 
I have not. Yes. I, 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 the, 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 the laser hair removal, I'm not certain. All right. Yay, bald crotch. <laughs> All right. And uh, what about some of the biggest factors that can lead to infertility in men? So 90% of the male uh, infertility cases are due to low sperm count, poor sperm quality or both. And then the remaining cases are due to either anatomical problems, hormonal imbalances, or genetic problems. So some of the risk factors for men, it, if they have a varicose seal, it's like a varicose vein in the spermatic cord, this can become a problem. Also men, aging for them will be a factor. What typically, I know you said 35 plus for women, is there an age range for men? Usually for men, it, it is a bit older, um, but I'm not certain the exact age. I'm not sure that there's a determined age. I had an ex-boyfriend whose grandpa had a child at 80. Well, look at Mick Jagger. How many kids is he up to? (laughs) Right. So for men, it it, it can vary. For men, too, if they have had uh, sexually transmitted diseases, that could cause some scarring in their reproductive system. Lifestyle factors like smoking, substance abuse uh, can also... uh, a factor. That's interesting that you mentioned lifestyle factors because I've always been curious and I've heard that smoking pot can have a negative effect on fertility for both men and women. Is that true? And is that something that once you quit smoking pot can be reversed? There are some studies out there. Uh, however, there is more that needs to be researched. But what we do know for men is smoking marijuana can cause low sperm count. And also, what's called hyperactivation of the sperm. So for the sperm usually has to start out swimming slowly until it gets a signal once it's closer to the egg. It needs to then swim really fast and hard, almost become really hyperactive to penetrate the the egg. However, with men who smoke marijuana, uh, they see that the sperm are almost fast out of the gate and they're too hyperactive too soon. So they kind of dies off once they get closer to the egg. So for them, that's not a great thing to be happening. However, once uh, it's somewhat reversible in the sense that if they end up decreasing their consumption or stopping, then uh, those sperm can uh, kind of do the right thing. Start slow, then go fast. Also, one interesting thing with the marijuana smoking, testosterone would be more elevated usually yeah so usually testosterone will help with sperm count but in this case there's these ups and downs of their testosterone levels so that's where the low sperm count will come from for them and what about women who smoke pot so for women they've looked at the impact of the the THC amount in their blood and uh, and the impact on ovulation so for some it will decrease ovulation so they won't ovulate certain months however they found that after three to four months ovulation will start up again of still being on it it's almost like they've built a tolerance there needs to be a bit more research there but you know I think that uh, if you were trying to get pregnant it would probably be a good idea to just um, you know try and stop um smoking marijuana if possible right, right. Yeah. and you had mentioned the sperm i think it's called motility uh, the yes. the speed and efficiency of how those little guys the swimmers get to the egg um, mm-hmm. i actually heard at one point in time that uh, supplementing with vitamin e can be beneficial for helping the motility of sperm the main products that i like for men and for sperm motility, uh, count, and so on is, uh, I like coenzyme Q10. I like L-carnitine and zinc. Vitamin E, you could certainly throw in there. It's always a good one. Uh, In terms of the research on it, uh, making a huge difference, I am not 100% sure on that. Oh, oh, that's cool. You said L-carnitine because I always promote that to my fitness clients as a good fat burner to take before their training sessions and cardio sessions. Mm -hmm. So there you go, boys. Double benefit. Help the little swimmers out and get you shredded. (laughs) And I'd want to mention that uh, usually uh, there's a, that three months. You want someone to be on it for three months to really see uh, the difference. So the studies usually show that they have to be on it for a good three months. Okay. And then do you always advise on any supplement, no matter what it is, people cycling on and off of it? So if somebody does suffer from low sperm count, would you say, okay, 
you know, I'm sure you would probably say use food sources before supplementing um, for anything. But after, you know, supplementing for a certain period of time, would you suggest that they would give their body a break? I often do like to cycle things because the body does build a tolerance to certain nutrients. So it's always a good idea to not have someone's body depend on so many supplements. So yeah, I do like to cycle them on and off things. All right. So going back to the men and specifically uh, my meathead bras listening, what about anabolic steroids? How do those affect one's uh, fertility and sperm count? Uh, When men use anabolic steroids, uh, it tricks the body into thinking that the testicles do not have to produce testosterone. So normally they do produce testosterone. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, the amount of testosterone in the testicles will, will become extremely low, despite the normal to very high testosterone in the bloodstream. When this occurs, there's a hormone in the brain, follicular stimulating hormone, uh, that won't be released. So this combo will cause the testicles to shrink and to produce little, if any, sperm. But the good news is, is that it's reversible. Unless, of course, someone's been using high doses for a long period of time, then it may be irreversible. Otherwise, you, once they come off of it, usually give themselves, again, that th- two, three-month mark, um, and then the sperm will start to be kind of back in action. Right. Now, what about hormone replacement therapy? And there's all kinds of crazy ones out there. But for somebody who is on doctor-prescribed testosterone in a small amount? Yes. So if they've been diagnosed with low testosterone, yes. So it would be helpful. Their body would function more optimally, especially if it's doctor-prescribed. They, they check so regularly to make sure that they're within normal range. And so in that case, yes, it, it would be beneficial because the symptoms that they're having of low testosterone would be alleviated. But would that mean they would still have to remain on it long term? So some men will like being on it because it gives them energy and so on. So they'll stay on a low dose Mm -hmm. and some will actually try and come off. It's part of the process of them finding what is out of balance uh, in their life. And so by improving their diet, their sleep, um, exercising regularly, they can get their levels back up. In your honest opinion, do you think taking birth control pills are healthy and are they a good idea for women? What the birth control pill does, uh, again, yes, is certainly to prevent pregnancy, uh, but it does mask what's going on with a woman's cycle. So we don't see what the true picture is. So um, let's say I see a lot of women with PCOS go on the birth control pill to help control their periods because they're so uncomfortable and painful. But then once they come off of it, well, here it comes again, this hormone imbalance. Mm So, you know, everyone's on it for different reasons at different points in their life. I usually encourage a woman if she's in a good place to to come off of it, if she's ready to address her hormone issues, and then we can really try and bring things back into balance uh, in a more natural way. And would you say maybe like a copper IUD would be a better option for those women who are still worried about getting pregnant, but they don't want to be consuming the synthetic hormones? Yeah, that could be an option. Um, Again, it's very different for everybody, but that could be an option, yeah. And I guess I'm just curious because I have a few friends and and I I meet women all the time who are on these birth control pills that prevent them from having a period altogether. Mm -hmm. And I I just cannot believe that that would be a good thing. We are women. We are supposed to have a period. Well, it's tough. It's one of those things. The body's a system and and everything communicates. So if this one system is shut down, well it's almost there's a miscommunication other places in the body. In terms of long-term use of a birth control pill, I know that they usually don't advise to do that. However, I do know some women have been on it for 20 or more years. So I usually don't think it's a, it's a great idea. Yeah. Well, and what I found, I was on it for probably six or seven years. And as soon as I went off of it, I felt normal for the first time in my life. I had a higher sex drive. And so when clients ask me, you know, oh, does it affect my weight loss? Should I go off the pill? Because that's usually their main concern. I just always say just for health wise, it, I don't think it's a good thing to be on. For instance, sometimes we'll do a hormone panel on some women. They're on the birth control pill. Everything is completely suppressed. There's no hormones like it's a, the hormones. It's shut off that um, feedback loop in your brain to the ovaries and so it just shuts it off and says you don't need to be working right now so 
because you're getting it from this pill. You want that fee- that loop to, to be functioning. Now, for people who are not uh, on steroids or birth control pills and they are still experiencing hormonal disruptions, but doing everything you know possible to uh, balance them out, any particular type of diet that you would recommend? Usually, I recommend a whole food-based diet, full of you know, good proteins, fruits, vegetables, fibers, healthy oils. Doesn't really matter what type of diet. Well, some do, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really based on the whole foods. Um, and and would you always advise organic? As much as possible, be, as we may touch on later, um, some endocrine disruptors, the, the pesticides, the organophosphate pesticides, uh, those can play on your hormone levels. Anything organic shouldn't have those. Uh, there's a website, the Environmental Working Group, EWG, that has that dirty dozen foods that are higher in pesticides. So if you can really focus on those to start, great. I always tell people if it has a peel, it's probably not the end of the world if it's not organic, but if it's something that you're like berries where you're mm-hmm. eating it straight up, they're usually very sprayed with pesticides. and. Right. When something is not organic, they're basically spraying these chemicals onto the produce, correct me if I'm wrong, but prevents it from uh, reproducing. If it's something that is preventing the fertility of the plant and then we are ingesting it, obviously it's going to have a have an effect on our own reproductive systems mm-hmm. no yeah. you're right scary stuff so i i actually do an organic fruit and vegetable delivery every week and it's all local and i always advise people to do the same thing um, always buy what's in season buy local organic and you can't really go wrong there was a couple things you well while we're talking about pesticides and you also said um in the beginning uh, how you're seeing more fertility issues. What is it? Miscarriages or it's something like one in five women or one in five pregnancies. In your opinion, do you think like do you think this was sort of always going on and maybe women didn't talk about it? Or do you think there there really is an environmental factor going on here? Right. So I think it's a combination. Um, we're certainly talking about it more. It used to be taboo to talk about. You kept it to yourself. And also we're testing much earlier. We have these pregnancy tests that you can know, you know, a few days before missing your period, you can tell if you're pregnant. Whereas before, well, you had to go to the doctor to get the test done and so on. So again, those two factors um, make it so that we know a lot sooner. We know a lot more about it. But also there are certain maternal health conditions that do uh, increase the risk of miscarriage, such as the hormonal problems, diabetes, and those two, we're seeing a lot more diabetes now, and also hormonal issues, whether that's due to the environment, likely, you know, it is a factor. So I think we are seeing more of it because of some of these, um, these health issues in, 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 in women. The products that we use and things that we're putting on our skin that contain, you know, hundreds of chemicals. And this is something that I talked about on my blog recently on this toxin exposure. So I'd love to know your thoughts on the link between hormonal disruption and the products we use through makeup and skincare and even our cleaning products. Like, how do, how do those affect our hormones? I know you mentioned endocrine disruptors. Some of the skincare ingredients will include parabens, phthalates, triclosan, and oxybenzones. And those are toxins that have been linked to hormone disruption. So if you can look for those in your skincare products and make sure that they don't have them, then you're already a step ahead. There are also other chemicals that you'll find in all kinds of products like PCBs. These are um, found in pesticides, flame retardants. Uh, These will be found in plastics, paint, furniture, electronics, some food. For you guys, no problem. It's found in meats, fish, dairy, and eggs. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Take that. (laughs) Dioxins, which are usually found in uh, meat byproducts and byproducts of combustion. Phytoestrogens, which you might find interesting in soy Mm -hmm. is one of them. So I usually recommend that women don't, uh, and men, just that the basis not be just soy based, uh, that they really bring a variety in their diet. And that's it goes for flaxseed as well, right? Right. 
organophosphates, which we touched on earlier, which is found in food, water, and soil. There's um, perfluorinated chemicals, which are in food packaging and nonstick coating pans. So the nonstick pans, which are so popular, easy to clean. Those will affect your thyroid, um, your thyroid glands. So that's something to look out for as well. The phthalates, as I mentioned, were in skincare products, but also plastics, food packaging, um, cleaning agents. So anything that would say fragrance or perfume usually has phthalates in them. And these will have a negative effect on semen quality. So Mm. men who, you know, douse themselves in cologne every day maybe try something different. Bisphenol A has had a lot of press and that certainly is one to look out for because that one acts as on the estrogen receptors. So we'll we'll cause estrogen uh, issues. There's also things like parabens, as I mentioned, glycol ethers and uh, BHA and BHT, which we also often find as food preservative. If you look at your cereal, you'll find BHT in there. And so they're doing a lot more research that it it, uh, it may be carcinogenic in the long run. So um, just to try and find some that don't. So stick to your steel-cut organic oats. You got it. I always tell people that the easiest things that you can do to limit your exposure to all of these toxins is, first of all, replacing all of your plastic Tupperwares with glass ones. Um, that goes for your shaker cups. There are stainless steel ones out there you can get now and your water bottles. Um, no more plastic. Go for um, a glass or, or a steel one. Yeah, with your products, like there are so many companies out there who are jumping on this bandwagon of replacing all of these chemical filled products. And I did mention this company on a podcast episode a couple weeks ago, but I want to give a shout out to them again. They're naturalveganproducts.com. I have now tried out all of their products that they sent me. And I got to say, guys, I absolutely love the toothpaste and the shampoo and the conditioner. And these guys are literally like a level 10 vegan company. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're promoting their toothpaste, it's got to be good. (laughs) No, they're 100% biodegradable packaging on all of their products. Literally, these guys operate a solar-powered farm. How cool is that? All their products handmade without any chemicals. And as I was just saying, they sent me a box of all of their goodies recently. I think there was a shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, body wash, like a shampoo soap, a body bar, and I legit love all of them. So everybody definitely check them out if this podcast has scared the crap out of you regarding <laughs> the chemical shitstorm of synthetic substances that you have been absorbing <laughs> through your skin your entire lifetime. Naturalveganproducts.com. And if you mention that you found them through the Jacked on the Beanstalk podcast, they're even going to give you 50% off your first order. So that's a pretty sweet deal and they've got a monthly subscription service to try different healthy cruelty free natural products every month so really love these guys naturalveganproducts.com I'm really excited about these guys and let me tell you it it takes a lot to get me excited Um, well that sounded weird (laughs) (laughs) well it is the fertility issue Um, no I I think they're amazing and if you go to their their website there's actually videos of the two the two founders like actually eating the products you know Mm -hmm. like they're eating facial scrubs and and stuff because there's literally nothing in them except for uh, natural products and they're made to order too like so there's no preservatives there's not a shelf life like they're making them and sending them out. Usually if I promote something on the podcast, they're a sponsor fine maybe they've they've hooked me up in some way but these guys are just such a cool company and a young guy and I love the cut of his jib and yeah. his little marketing package that he put together his name's Jamie Sarah and I both killed ourselves laughing reading it I was like I just want to promote these guys because they're doing everything right in terms of marketing and the business model that they have and so I really hope you guys support them it's an interesting story how the company started too totally and they're doing a kickstarter campaign which I think they have exceeded the amount that they sought out to do. So obviously a lot of uh, people are on board with them. So I really wish them success and definitely go support them, guys. Naturalveganproducts.com. Mention the podcast and you'll get some uh, freebies. 
obviously times have changed and women are waiting uh, a lot longer to have babies until our 30s and our 40s, putting our careers first sometimes. And unfortunately, though, our reproductive systems have not changed over time. So do you think that this is a big problem that obviously you do think it comes with a lot of risks? So I guess I'm wondering, you know, do you think freezing eggs is worth the the hefty price for those of us who um, are waiting longer? So as you mentioned, the biological clock is a fact of life. So that will keep going on as you're building your career, etc. So the things to think about are really that it may take longer to get pregnant with with age because of the quantity and quality of the eggs. They're not fertilized as easily. The fact that you may uh, develop gestational diabetes or high blood pressure, uh, the baby may have a low birth weight, or you may have a premature birth. You're more at risk for a C-section as well. Uh, when it comes to wanting to potentially freeze the eggs, it would really be because you want to preserve the quality of the eggs. And uh, also because with age, uh, your egg reserve diminishes. So then if you're freezing them, you don't have to worry about that. However, you do still have to take into consideration the other factors that I mentioned um, that, that may um be a little harder. So would you say that if you live a healthy lifestyle, um, a woman in her late 30s would probably not have as difficult time as somebody who hasn't been so healthy? Right. Absolutely. So if... Yes. Are you making plans over there, Sam? Or? <laughs> well, and I also wanted to ask, again, being totally selfish, if you start your your period later in life, like for I personally did not get my period until I was 17, which was very late for a woman. But I always say, well, no, it, it now my fertility years have... Uh, increased. Would you say there maybe is some truth to that or I'm not sure actually. I'm okay. really not sure. I'd have to I'd have to look into that. But yes, yeah, 17 is um, certainly not the norm. Uh, usually it's uh, around that 13 year old Perhaps there was some sort of hormonal disruption before then. Uh, I was a very unhealthy vegetarian living off of fries and salad. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> I was very skinny, uh, scrawny. Yes, yeah, so that may have something to do with it. Uh, sometimes some nutritional deficiencies uh, can make it so that we're not ovulating properly and not getting our period. All right, so I should mm -hmm. stop gloating about that one, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe find some, some medical proof before you start. Uh, I will look into this and yeah. let everybody know. So for all my late bloomers out there, let's keep our fingers crossed, guys. <laughs> IVF therapy. Can you actually first explain what that is and the benefits versus the dangers? IVF does have some hormone therapy in the whole treatment. So IVF is in vitro fertilization, so it's an assisted reproductive uh, technology. It is pricey, but here we do have, the government does offer women, their first cycle can be covered. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they have to apply for it. IVF is the process where they extract the egg and then they retrieve a sperm sample and then they manually combine them in a lab in a in a lab dish and then from there they transfer the fertilized egg or eggs into the uterus. And there's like a five basic steps process where the fertility medications is a step one. There are injections usually that the female takes to stimulate egg production. And then they retrieve the eggs through a minor surgical procedure. Step three is that they get the sample from the male, the sperm sample, and they'll combine the egg and the sperm. There, there's two ways. Either they put it both in a dish and see if they'll fertilize on their own, or there's a process called ICSI where they actually take one sperm and put it with the egg just to increase the chances even more. Step five is that they'll transfer the embryos into the uterus. Okay, and would you say that has any health risks for the, the woman getting all these injections? There's risks in terms of ovarian hyperstimulation, um, where the ovaries just keep stimulating and producing uh, the eggs, which can be quite painful. So that would be one risk. The other risk with IVF is that the woman could have multiple births. Some women will implant two, um, two embryos instead of one just to increase their chances. 
Um, some they found that there could be premature delivery and low birth weight. There could be complications in the egg retrieval procedure, just like any procedure, there could be bleeding infection or, you know, they kind of poke the bladder or the bowel by accident. Oh, right. Right. So, and then ectopic pregnancies, it's pretty low, two to 5% of women with I, who are doing IVF can have an ectopic pregnancy. That's when the egg implants, uh, not in the uterus, but maybe the fallopian tube, uh, right. which can be very painful and dangerous. So the biggest thing would be the financial stress, the just the stress of the injections, the emotional stress. It can be draining. Right. But there are, are certainly advantages as well. For the emotional stress and, and for any person really dealing with infertility and wanting to have babies, what kind of emotional support do you ever suggest any kind of self-care tips or practices that help people deal with the emotional stuff that comes along with this? So oftentimes when women are coming in for fertility treatments in our clinic, we, we do acupuncture. So acupuncture can really help relax the nervous system. That that treatment is relaxing. I also often um, recommend affirmations. Uh, there's, yeah, yeah, I always do too. There's a good author, Louise Hayes, who has mm-hmm. a lot of and, and self care, whatever that may be for that person. Some some women, it's even just going for a pedicure, you know, mm-hmm. then schedule it in and you know go for walks. Don't overdo it because they're already overdoing it on their body with the injections and all these blood tests and appointments that it's, they need to take a step back. And Actually, just, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned this because I have a client who is going through IVF treatment right now and she keeps saying to me, well, what exercises can I do? And and I say, you know what? I think you should just take a break. Use this to you know stimulate mm-hmm. your mind muscle right now more mm-hmm. than anything. Go for walks. You could maybe do some light yoga, but I think the intense exercising is probably not the best idea for her. So would you agree? I would agree, yes. So as you mentioned, just more uh, mind-body exercises would be a way to go. Um, There's a lot of uh, fertility uh, um, meditations that they could even just listen to um, to try and meditate. And with the acupuncture, I've had that on my leg when I had um, shin splints. But I was wondering with if it's fertility related, do you put the needles like in around the ovaries or where are they? So it depends where they are in their cycle or where they are in their IVF treatments. Uh, we will do it some on the feet, ankles, legs, stomach, also head. Okay. Arms. So a little bit everywhere. I um, guess you're not st- stabbing their ovaries with. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if they ha- they're having trouble ovulating, there are a particular point that will help to stimulate the ovaries to ovulate. So. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I did want to ask if you think a prenatal vitamin um, is important. So the biggest um, benefit to the prenatal is uh, the folic acid in it. Um, Usually I like, there's been a lot of talk about, oh, folic acid is bad for you. So definitely folate or even better, L5-MTHF. It's a methylated form of folate uh, would be the best form of folic acid to take. Usually a multivitamin of any sort and uh, usually if someone doesn't have a very healthy diet, it's definitely recommend a prenatal. Uh, if someone has a healthy, very healthy diet, um, then I'll suggest they, if they didn't want to take a prenatal, at least they need to take the, fo- the folate. Okay. And are there any particular brands, preferably vegan ones, that you could mm-hmm. recommend for a, a prenatal or just the straight up folate? Uh, Innate Response. They have a good prenatal um, also, Garden of Life, they have a, oh, nice. a raw vegan yep, yep, one. Yep. Yes. So uh, those are two uh, good brands to go with if you're looking for a good prenatal. Speaking of vegan-specific diets, um, a big trend going on right now, and I plan to do a future podcast episode all about this, is the no-oil diet. But I personally believe that consuming just a little bit of healthy dietary fats is crucial for anyone, um, but especially if, say, you're pregnant. What are your thoughts on the whole low-fat diet or no-oil trend and keto diet versus the high-carb, raw vegan diet? I know you said a whole foods diet is the best for women wanting to get pregnant, but do you have any thoughts on any of these 
kind of diet mentality? Well, it's a good question. A lot of, like you said, so many people are jumping into one diet, doing it 100%. Uh, we need to be informed of what uh, what we may be lacking, uh, for instance. Uh, yes, yeah, so whole food-based diets usually what I go with. I do always encourage healthy fats, uh, very important. Um, for instance, a ketogenic diet, if you look at, uh, it's not recommended for women who are pregnant. Uh, they found that it, the fetus can have some organ growth problems oh, because the main nutrient they're going off of is ketones. Mm -hmm. So they're not getting the variety that they need. So I wouldn't recommend someone be on the ketogenic diet if they're pregnant. Because um, you'd rather the fetus be getting its energy from glucose, right? Right, exactly. It's just not the, in research they've found that uh, studies have shown that it's it, it does have some um, some risks involved. So then mm -hmm. I'd love to know what you think about the high carb raw vegan diet because I know some of my clients who are trying to get pregnant, they uh, don't want to do any processed foods, so no protein powders, no soy, um, but that does leave us at a protein deficiency sometimes if you're just doing a high carb raw vegan diet. So, And then of course you're consuming glucose galore. So what do you think about that? Right. So again, you're swaying yourself completely one way, right? Instead of a little bit in the middle, uh, usually for protein intake, if a woman is pregnant or trying to get pregnant, you know, between 75 and 100 grams a day would yeah. be uh, where you want to be. Uh, and again, See, if, I always recommend that for any client, mm, whether you're pregnant or not. I think that's a reasonable yes, amount. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So and if you're too high, if you're consuming a, a diet that's too high in sugar, you're then you're going to have the blood sugar dysregulation, which can prevent people from getting pregnant, which can, you know, leave you susceptible potentially to uh, gestational diabetes. And also, you know, low fat diets. Um, if you're buying low fat products, usually it says low fat, but it's higher in sugar. Mm -hmm. It's replacing it with sugar. So to be careful of that as well. Cool. Yeah, not that I'm a medical doctor, but I always really? feel, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not that I have any qualifications, but um, one thing that bothers me is is pregnant women or women who are trying to conceive and they're, they're so stuck on, you know, like um, being slim or diets. I think when you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant, there's no no diet is recommended or you want, post baby yeah i get a want, lot of women hiring me to lose the baby weight and i, I always say you know what just yeah this is a process everything is about yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. everything's about the fetus and creating the best little home you can feed your baby right but the good your stuff. body but the yes good yeah. Stuff. yeah and you did mention the sugar like are you pretty anti obviously white refined sugar i'm sure you're not uh, consuming that but would you say you should always kind of keep sugar out of your diet for the most part well your brain does need sugar i usually i'll recommend um you know staying below the 22 grams of sugar a day for women men it's 36 grams if you want to take it to the limit a little bit that includes fruit but again trying to get Pregnant. If you're eating fruit instead of chocolate, well, eat the fruit. You right. know. Yeah. Cool. And Sarah mentioned um, something that made me want to ask this question: How important is maintaining a healthy body weight for supporting our fertility? And which would you say is more dangerous for the development of a healthy fetus, being overweight or underweight? So they'll both come with some risks. Um, if you're overweight, you put yourself at risk for gestational diabetes. Uh, preeclampsia, the high blood pressure, uh, C-section, miscarriages or stillbirths. If you're underweight, your risk is preterm, uh, having a preterm baby or a low birth weight. So a, f a few less risks, but it doesn't mean that they're less than the other. Um, so yes, it is important to maintain a, a a healthy weight of possible. Okay, and here's a juicy one. In your practice, do you ever have any concerns when you encounter a pregnant dun, 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 vegan patient? Because I, I, if I didn't already mention this, which I don't think I did, uh, Danica, you are not vegan, but I'm sure you, as being you know kind of a holistic doctor, I'm sure you meet your fair share of vegan. So do I, you ever have any concerns? I do, I do. So usually, again, the vegan, my vegan patients are they're very healthy. 
healthy individuals. Uh, and so usually I like to do blood tests to check for their B12 and their iron just to make sure that they're in optimal range. And also, as we touched on, the protein, making right. sure they're eating enough protein. So those are the big three that I look for. What are your best tips and suggestions for us to help the hormonal system reach its full capacity? I would say uh, adequate sleep, eight hours a night if possible, bedtime by 10 p.m. I fail on that one. <laughs> Uh, whole food based diet uh, keep the sugar down as much as possible uh, avoid the endocrine disruptors um, mm-hmm. exercise three to fo- four times a week or six times a week yes. if you're hardcore <laughs> <laughs> uh, practice stress management uh, what if it's meditation or um, you know whatever it is for, for that person make sure you're drinking enough water so those are the basics. It's still a lot of work. So sure. mm-hmm. I will disappoint one of my beloved clients if I don't ask you this. But uh, for all the ladies out there who suffer from PCOS, which if anyone's wondering what that is, it's polycystic ovary syndrome or another very common one, endometriosis. Why are these so common? So for reasons for that aren't well known, PCOS so the hormones are out of balance. So one's hormones um, can get triggered for different reasons. The hormones will normally secrete a little bit of male sex hormone called androgens. But in PCOS, they're secreting too much of it. it could stop ovulation. Women can get acne, um, grow extra hair growth on the face or other places on the body uh, but then the scalp the hair becomes thin and they can also have insulin resistance which means that then their blood glucose will be too high well and i heard that uh, they should follow a higher protein diet mm-hmm. the high protein diet will help with insulin resistance right okay, yes cool. yes uh, so this type of uh, condition can certainly be managed if we can bring those androgens down, uh, promote ovulation. So it's something that becomes managed. I'm not sure that it will ever fully go away, but if you can keep everything in range, then that's that's good. Right, cool. And uh, a lot of women will get pregnant with PCOS, but it may take a little longer. I wanted to ask, um, I, I know a few women who have PCOS, and I know that, that getting pregnant the first time around was really difficult for them. But then second time around, third time around, four in some cases, it, it wasn't an issue. Is it almost like being pregnant sort of resets things? Yes. So you'll hear that a lot with certain conditions that even some autoimmune conditions, all of a sudden it's like a reset button then that hormone the hormones are starting to be secreted normally yes yeah so that's not unusual for women with PCOS to have no trouble uh, with their second or third pregnancy Mm -hmm. Mm. and then for endometriosis um, it's the development of uterine lining tissue outside of the uterus and so the symptoms may be debilitating abdominal pain heavy periods infertility we've seen that it's hereditary Usually for that, we try and manage it uh, with certain dietary changes, acupuncture, certain nutrients, anti-inflammatories. But some, if it's moderate to severe, they may need to get a surgical procedure to take those that extra tissue out. Right. But that wouldn't render them infertile necessarily if they did have that surgery? No, it wouldn't. Okay. No, no, right. no. Dr. Danica, for anybody wanting to follow you, what is the best way for them to do so? They could uh, check out my website at orleansnaturopath.com and all the information will be there. Uh, There's also my email, which is info at orleansnaturopath.com. I'm on Facebook. That's under my name, Danica Seacard, MND. And um, Twitter, well, I'm still working on Twitter. I'm there. Okay. But I'm not very active. (laughs) Well, I will include links to uh, how everybody can reach Dr. Danica on the show notes for this week's episode. Yeah, I look forward to researching whether my late blooming uh, does have an effect on my extended fertility range. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was great. I hope all you fine folks thoroughly enjoyed that interview. And I will admit that I was kind of selfish on this one. I was definitely asking a lot of personal questions, but whatever. It's my podcast and I will ask whatever the hell I want. 
<laughs> yeah, I did notice there was some some what seemed like self serving information in that interview. <laughs> Yes, well, while we're on the topic of self-serving, for anyone who is wondering, based on uh, what was discussed with Dr. Danica on the interview, um, I did a little bit of half-assed Googling, and apparently my delayed puberty will not affect my pregnancy possibility, damn it! And that is apparently because all of my eggs are present at birth. So the fact that I did not get my period for the first time until I was 17, unfortunately, does not mean that I have younger eggs than the other chicks my age. Anyways. Nazi banya, baba ditsi baba. Oh yeah, are we singing Circle of Life? <laughs> From, From the, the day, day we arrive on the planet. <laughs> Do I even know this song? Yeah, I don't really either. <laughs> <laughs> All I knew was the yeah, Can we do that part again and call it a day? Okay, together. Nazi Benya Babadizi Baba Venya Hosa Manada It's a circle of life It's the wheel of fortune It's the leap of faith <laughs> It's the band of hope Till we find our place on Batman in, in, in the circle of life My mattress sings I'm choking for life buy a new one It's so smelly <laughs> Actually listens to the end of this podcast. Yeah. Thank you. And We're why sorry. do you keep yeah. coming back? Yeah. Well, hope everybody enjoyed that episode and uh, everybody have a great week and we will be back again soon. Shorky Sisters out. <laughs>